Sunday, I wanted to invite uh, actually one of our church members. He has actually taught Sunday school the last couple of weeks, and he's been on finance committee and is active around this place. But this is Russ Martin. He's the president and treasurer of the Missouri Baptist Children's Home. And uh, we are so thrilled to partner with the Missouri Baptist Children's Home and the work that you all are doing. And one of the areas in which you all are working is in the area of crisis pregnancy. We watched the video earlier that, that Missouri Baptist Children's Home put uh, and put together. But uh, tell us just a little bit about what Missouri Baptist Children's Home is doing in the area of crisis pregnancy, yeah. Russ. Well, thank you, Pastor. Well, first of all, thank you so much for taking time today to to recognize that life is sacred, life is precious, you know, but it's not just a one-day event. Life is precious every day. So we want to be your hands and feet to serve these young girls who are pregnant, who are anxious, they're scared, they're nervous, what they do. We want to make sure that we give them healthy outcomes for both themselves and their babies. So we work with young girls, uh, both with their pre-born children and their children when they're born with infants. Uh, this last year, we served over 200 women across the state, 150 babies uh, from those mamas. And so we want to make sure they get a good start in life. So we provide health care, a lot of counseling, encouragement. Uh, and our mantra is to give hope, healing, and restoration. You know, life is not ended because you have a, uh, an event unexpected in your life. God has a plan and a purpose. We live in a fallen world. But God is still in control. Mm. So we want to give these young girls hope and encouragement. We don't want them to abort their, 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 their infants. And that would be an option for many of them. So we want to give them a better plan, a better option, the only option. Remind them how much, how important life is, precious, and uh, just a dear gift from our God. I want to share one quick story if I sure. can. We had a young lady come to us about a year and a half ago. And she said, you know, I really want to get, and uh, I don't want to carry this baby. I want to uh, have it taken, aborted, uh, because the sense is that the father of the child, uh, she was raped, but the father of the child had some genetic defect, they determined, and the child was probably going to be impacted by that would not be a normal child. She said, I just cannot stand to carry a child uh, that will not be normal. So... She came into our care, and we said, we don't promote uh, you to abort that baby. We want to help you to have that baby, uh, whatever else. And she says, well, I'll come into your house because I need housing desperately. We do provide housing for young girls who, who, uh, who, have, who, who have that need. So anyway, she came into us, and our staff worked with her, prayed with her, uh, had Bible study with her, whatever else. So she went in for an ultrasound, and this ultrasound and test would determine did the child carry this gene or not? So staff was with her when they did this test and the ultrasound. And so she came out all smiles. And she said, I'm going to have the baby. I saw the ultrasound. But the test, I didn't do the test. I saw the baby in, inside me. I want to have this baby. It's what life is all about. You know, baby was born healthy, normal. Mama's doing great. Baby's doing great. You were a part of that. Mm -hmm. So thank you so very much. Man, what a great, great story. Yeah. So years ago, the Missouri Baptist Children's Home was primarily more like an orphanage in its ministry. And now you all are very uh, much involved in fostering. 
And so tell us a little bit about the foster family ministry that the Missouri Baptist Children's Home does as well. Yeah, foster parents are a critical need that we have right now. As Buddy mentioned, we were an orphanage for many years early on. Uh, But through the years, needs have changed. So residential programs became less and less important to us. They're still important to us, but less important, uh, less a part of of our work. And we want to place children in as close to a normal home environment as we can. And residential care just is not a homey environment. You bring a child into care, you know, maybe the state of Missouri picks up this child because of neglect or abuse, and most of the kids who come to us are victims of abuse, neglect. So they come to us, they're scared, but we move from whatever home that they know, how bad home is, home is still home. It's what they know. So you take them out of that home, you take them into another facility, they know nobody there, there are six or eight other kids, they're all strangers, you're the new kid on the block, it is just very, very difficult transition to make. Now some kids need that more restrictive setting, but God established the family as the basic unit of our society. Mm. Kids are meant to be in a home, in a family setting. So we look for foster parents who will say, I'll open up my house and I'll be a foster parent for this child for as long as he or she might need that care. My predecessor said to me one time, he said, Russ, he said, the greatest sin in Missouri churches right now is empty bedrooms. We have kids who need to be in those rooms. You know? So we are recruiting foster homes. We need you to provide the, the space, the love, the care. We'll do that training. We'll do th- do that to support whatever you need to be successful. But foster homes are a critical link in our ministry. Mm. You know, as we look around uh, the state of Missouri and actually around the country, it seems like there's always staff needs somewhere. I went to a restaurant the other day and it was, we are, you know, it's going to take longer than expected. We are short staffed. Tell us a little bit about some of the personnel needs that are, are needed in the Missouri Baptist Children's Home right now. And maybe these folks know someone. Maybe they could pray about some of those kinds of uh, personnel needs as well. Yeah, thank you, buddy. Staffing has been a real issue for us the last two or three years uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, with the uh, pandemic going on, nobody wants to really get outside their normal environment. So to go to a group home setting, take care of eight or ten children... A lot of other staff around, a lot of other kids around. It's kind of an uncomfortable thing. So that's been a real uh, obstacle for us to overcome. Also, the pay has not been the greatest in the world for this position. And everybody is raising income or, or their pay scale. So we had to, had to increase our scale this last year as well, too. But we need what we call residential specialists, uh, also known as youth care workers. These are ideally couples, ideally couples man and wife, who will say, I want to be a missionary, and I want to serve children right here in Missouri. I want to serve my God by serving his children here in this state. So we need missionary couples who will come and spend time with us and work in a group home setting where we have these eight or so children who come into care, who need a lot of love, a lot of attention, need that Christian influence. They need to see what a normal family looks like, what a husband and wife looks like. What is God's model for that? So we need people to do that. It is a seven-day on, seven-day off schedule, which means you can live in, uh, in uh, the Boot Hill and work in the Burn Campus in Kansas City area. 
Because you drive over on, on Sunday or Monday, you work for a full week, then you go home for a full week. So you work one week, and you're off a week. So we need people to do that role desperately. We had to close the house last year because we did not have enough staff to cover that house. We've had referrals come in for that house. We've had, we have the beds available, but no staff to cover those. You'll see a video in just a minute here that Buddy's going to introduce to you. This young girl came to us a week after that house was reopened. That house a week before was closed because of lack of staff. If we had not had that house open, the young girl you'll see on this video later would not have been help to us. So pray about that, a real need. Who do you know that might be good youth care workers? We also have some folks who are shift workers. They might work a night shift or a weekend shift, or they give breaks to our live-in staff. And those are shift, those hourly people, anywhere from 20 hours to 30 hours a week. So if you want a part-time job, it's a great opportunity as well there too. But a missionary in Christ's work. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the last area I really kind of want us to talk about, and this is really something that over uh, at the beginning of the Missouri Baptist Children's Home, they probably never would have anticipated yeah. that. And that is in the area of human trafficking. Uh, that is a uh, vast, vast sinful world and realm in, in which so many people are caught up in. And Missouri Baptist Children's Home is, is seeking to help those. And tell us yeah. just a little bit about how yeah. you're on the front lines yeah. trying to help victims of human trafficking. That's a real stain on our society. Yes, it and, is. Uh, you know, it's just horrible, horrific what these young girls and boys go through as well. But... You know, it's kind of interesting, as Buddy said, years ago, this wasn't even on our screen, radar screen. Had no concept of doing work in this particular arena. And uh, we were invited to a meeting back about 2005 or six, And we were challenged. There were three or four faith-based agencies like ours in this meeting. We were challenged to respond to assist young children uh, who had been victimized by trafficking. The other two or three agencies said, we don't have a time for that, we have interest in that. And I gave the typical Baptist answer, well, I'll pray about it. <laughs> you know, kind of put it off, I'll pray about it. And uh, so I did pray about it. And I said, Lord, I, we don't have time to do this. We don't have the expertise to do this. But the Lord said, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You know, I'll help you. You know, I'm in charge here. I'll give you what you need to do. So we opened a... Uh, a home on the St. Louis campus for human trafficking victims. We serve both uh, women, and we have uh, young girls as well, too. We've had them as young as nine years of age. Uh, we've had them up to 42 years of age, so quite a range of women that have been served. And this last year, 21 women and girls went through that, uh, that, that, that uh, ministry. Uh, about five years ago, we opened up a house on the west side of the state for victims over there of young girls. So uh, it has been a tremendous ministry, an eye-opening ministry, to have these young people come to us. Many of them who have been in foster care, they're youth who have been on the streets, they're homeless, they need some security, and so uh, they will be uh, sucked into this, uh, into this lifestyle. And once you're in it, it is so hard to get out of it because, you know, folks, the money is really good, just for money. But uh, what a shame and, and what a tragedy. So uh, it is so 
precious to us to be able to give these young girls and women a chance at a new start in life and remind them that in Christ we are all new, new creatures. You know, mm. The old is gone, the new is new, and God is in control, and God loves them and cares for them. And see, the change in lifestyles and these young women and the hope and the healing and restoration that they get, just phenomenal. Just yeah. Phenomenal. Hey, we're going to watch just a short video of, of someone that you all ministered to out of human trafficking. Is there anything that, that you could give us a little background on? on this? Yeah, this client came to us again. This one came to us just about a week after the house was opened again. And again, I say, you know, if that house not open, where'd this young girl be today? But this girl... Her face has been kind of covered, where you can't see who, who, who she is, but her story is just phenomenal, and she's doing great today. And again, you all had a part of that, so thank you for your support, for your prayers. Uh, out on the uh, table out there, I left some little brochures if you want to pick up one of those. But thank you again for those diapers. They'll be a tremendous help to us. You know, we go through a lot of diapers. When you have 150 children, babies, you know, you go through diapers a lot, so thank you very much for your support, your encouragement, your prayers, most of all. Yep. Go ahead, we'll run this video. I used to be Wiccan. That's a modern pagan religion that often practices witchcraft. I was also a victim of human trafficking. After my rescue, the children's home helped me. To be honest, it was kind of uncomfortable being around Baptists. I'd often try to intimidate the staff with my words and actions. But they kept showing me love. And they lived out their faith. Then they took me through the Romans Road and introduced me to Jesus. It was like a weight had been lifted off of me. I threw my Wicca Book of Shadows into the trash. I was through with my old life, the drugs, the violence, the worry, and I couldn't wait to share my faith. Besides ministering to survivors of human trafficking, the Missouri Baptist Children's Home provides resources for family foster care and adoption, crisis pregnancy services, developmentally disabled services, and more. Your financial gifts to your church make stories like this happen. Thanks for supporting the cooperative program and the Missouri Missions Offer. That was our house and that was our staff. That was, yeah, that was actual, the, the actual girl, their actual staff, and the actual house, yeah. So, hey, I want us to take a moment and, and pray uh, for the Missouri Baptist Children's Home, pray over Russ. Uh, you know, there's not only uh, just the the situation and ministry needs, but also right now there's cultural and political pressure uh, that is pushed on uh, political agendas uh, that uh, are not what God's ideal is. And so would you pray for for Russ? I I will just tell you as well, this is a ministry that I support uh, outside of our own local church. And if you want to give to the Missouri Baptist Children's Home uh, to have part of this, you know, obviously we're bringing diapers in and those kind of things. If you want to give as well, uh, we have plenty of avenues that, that uh, you can work with Russ on uh, to give as well. So let me take a moment and pray with Russ. And, and would you just pray with me for the ministry of the Missouri Baptist Children's Home? Lord, as we recognize this Sunday as 
the sanctity of human life. Thank you. Thank you for lives that are being touched and saved and changed forever because of the ministry of the Missouri Baptist Children's Home. Lord, I pray that uh, you would bless them richly, give Russ great wisdom and discernment. Father, would you meet all of their needs, all of their staff needs, all of their financial needs? And Lord, maybe, maybe someone here needs to be called out. God, would you call them out to be a missionary right here? Lord, we pray for mamas with unexpected pregnancies. Lord, that they would choose life. We pray, God, that you would rescue many from the awful, sinful world of human trafficking. Lord, we pray over uh, the call for foster families, for boys and girls to be placed in a place with a mom and a dad that they can call home. And God, I, I pray that ultimately you would be honored and glorified and many would be touched for the kingdom because of the work of the Missouri Baptist Children's Home. Thank you that we can partner together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. Russ shared the story of a young woman who had been raped and debating on whether to have a baby or not. Ryan Bomberger is a leader of the Radiance Foundation, and he wrote this. I found it interesting. None of us would have been better off dead. We're better off loved. He, as well, had a courageous mother who, through a violent act of rape, decided that she was going to choose life. And now... After being adopted into a Christian family where he came to know Jesus, he is speaking and helping and encouraging others to know that we are made in the image of God and that God has a purpose for our life. That is the message. That's the message of Scripture, that God is a God of life. And yet, 62,509,000-plus lives the last 49 years here in the United States have been snuffed out due to abortion. God has a word of life. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and we're going to pick up in verse number 13. And also, if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to slide over into Genesis 1 in just a couple of moments. Psalm 139, pick up in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the day's fashion for me, when as yet there were none of them. And again, let's just take a moment as we open God's word together and pray. God, speak to us through your word. And God, uh, show us. Again, remind us of the preciousness of life in your name. Amen. 
God is a God of life, and life is precious. And because life is precious, and our God is a God of life, then that makes life sacred, special, set apart for him. God does have a plan. And what we see in Psalm 139, from the very beginning to the very end in Psalm 139, 16, all the days... All of my days that, that were, were prepared for me. God, you knew all of them. We turn over to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And as you're turning there, we think about sanctity of life in terms of often the unborn and often the elderly. Those seem to, to be the, the big times that we often think. And yet C.S. Lewis reminds us that as we think about the sanctity of life, he says, don't forget the, that there's also every day in between. And he writes, there are no ordinary people. He says, you are not speaking to a mere mortal when you look at someone. You are speaking to someone who was created in the image of God. And that's what we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Notice what it says with me in Genesis chapter, chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all, uh, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. When we think about human life and the sanctity of human life, human life is sacred because of the creation of God. Now, we find very clearly here that man was created in the image of God in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. As we think about this passage and we recognize that this passage, what it says, mankind created in the image of God, it shows that we are special. Do you realize that most of the, quote, political issues, cultural issues of our day can be traced right back for us as believers to Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. You, you realize that? What we find in Genesis chapter 1 is that God is the giver and the creator of life. That God created man in his own image. God is the creator. That he created them male and female. You have been given a sex chromosome, one from the mama and one from the daddy. You are either an XX on the sex chromosome, which would make you a female, or you are an XY. And nearly every cell in your body carries that chromosome and cries out, you are a man or you are a woman. And yet society wants to distort that today and furthermore wants to say that we have five 58, 112 different genders. Can I tell you very clearly that God has a gender that corresponds with your sex? You are either a male and you are given the gender role as a male or you are a female and given a gender role. Do, do you understand that they're talking about pregnant people now? They don't want to use the word women. So God created, God created Male and female, 
Then, as he creates, he brings them together in marriage in Genesis chapter 2. A man and a woman. That's the plan for marriage. And then in Genesis chapter 4, we find a picture of a family. As Adam and Eve conceive and they bring forth Cain and Abel. And yet, in our world today, these are the key areas of political distortion. Can I tell you, everyone, everyone is a theologian. Some people's theology is just not biblical. They have views of God. They have views of who God is. He's a doting grandpa who says we can be anything that we want to be and do anything that we want to do. But biblical revelation teaches us that God created life. He created male, female. He brought them together in marriage. He created a family and any political organization, and there are some out there, that would seek to destroy the nuclear family is anti-God, anti-biblical, anti-Christ, and their, their, their philosophy comes from the pit of hell. What we find is that God created man in his image. Now, this makes us unique. But what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, there are different thoughts on this, and it doesn't really specifically tell us in the text. But as we think about the creation of man in the image of God, we recognize that man has a unique personality. Now, you understand that your animals may have a personality, but as as believers, we are unique in that we have a personality that uh, can show attributes of mercy and forgiveness and compassion and kindness in a way in which we can show God's love. We can have a, we have a self-consciousness and recognize who we are. We can communicate more fully. So there's this aspect, but there's also the aspect of morality. God has given us a conscience of knowing right and wrong. Now, over time, people may sear that conscience and grow hard in their conscience, but you look at the life of a boy and girl, and they, from their very young age, understand that there are some things that are right, and there are some things that are very wrong. We have a distinct morality. Also, we have a relational spirituality that we can talk and have a relationship with God. We see that in Psalm 139. We see it throughout the Psalms and we see it throughout the Bible that we are spiritual beings. In Genesis 2, 7, it tells us that God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living being or a living soul, that we are both physical, but we are also spiritual beings and we have the ability to talk and and listen to God's work and God's spirit and see God's hand and listen to God's word. We're spiritual beings. But also when we think about the image of God, notice that he tells and shows that we have a, uh, a picture of authority that comes. We have a, a sense of responsibility upon the earth. Man was given the job to subdue the earth. We're not the strongest animal. We're not the fastest. We're not the biggest. But God has given us a delegated authority over all of them, which again, I believe shows us that we are created in the image of God. Mankind is created in God's image. And because of that, you are unique. There's no one ordinary. And may I say, no matter your color, 
your tribe, nation, nationality, your ethnic group, your background, there is a sense of dignity that we treat each other with because we are made in the image of God. We may disagree, and there are some people that I very much disagree with, but I do have to understand that that person was made in the image of God and that God has, in his sovereign plan, given them a general sense of mercy in which he has, uh, or grace, in which he has allowed them to breathe air and allowed them to communicate thoughts. And because of that, even though I disagree, I disagree with the sense of recognizing their human worth and dignity before him. It doesn't make any difference. Color, socioeconomics, political views, we are created in the image of God. Now let's slide back to Psalm 139. Human life is sacred because of the creation of God, but we also find that human life is is sacred because of the intervention of God, the intervention of God. We see in Psalm 139 this awesome picture that man is created uh, specifically and specially by God. Four of the most wonderful moving times in my life have been when I was in the delivery room. The first time when Luke was born, you know, I'd never, I'd barely been in the hospital, you know, and just making visits here or there, but to be there and to see this life come into the world, I, I remember uh, I just cried. It is a moment of awe to see a baby come into the world. And it was interesting because there was a young African-American nurse tech that was there as well. And I'm crying and she's crying. It was her first time to be in the delivery room as well. And we're just crying together as we watch this moment of awe. Then there was Joel. When Joel was born, uh, the, the last moments before actual delivery, there was distress and uh, doctors are in there, and they're working. And I hear uh, Dr. Keegan say, we have a tight wrap times three, no times four. He had the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck four times. And when she brought him out, she said, come on, buddy, come on, buddy. And his face is just kind of a bluish purple. And, and then he finally cries, and it's like Thank you, Lord. I can't believe the awesomeness of, of this moment. When Micah was born, it, uh, it was very kind of matter-of-factly. It was, it, was, it was quick and it was easy. What I remember the most about when Micah was born is I got to the hospital. Of course, I had Luke and Joel and had somebody with them, but I spent the night with them. I got to the hospital the next morning at 6.30 and Julie had her bags packed and was ready to walk out the door. And uh, unfortunately, the audiologist that day uh, one of them was off, and so they did not get to our hospital until about 5 o'clock. And I remember my wife was fit to be tied by 5 o'clock. She'd been ready since 6.30 in the morning to go home. She wanted to be with her other boys and, and be home. And then Josh. Josh was born in Atlanta. Our other boys were born in Memphis. Josh, our Atlanta baby, when uh, right before, again, uh, delivery, Julie's blood pressure just crashed, and doctors crash into the room. She said, it was like I could feel my spirit leaving me. It was a a crazy moment, and then obviously they got her blood pressure back up, and and, uh, we were blessed with, with Josh, but what a moment. 
But to think that God was at work way before then, that God had a plan way before we even knew each other. So in Psalm 139, it gives us this picture of, of God's intervention, and we'll move quickly, quickly through. First off, we see that we are formed by the work of God. Notice, you formed my inward parts, and you covered me in my mother's womb, verse number 13. That gives the picture of being embroidered. We were embroidered. We are woven together by God. God is at work in that process. And what an amazing process it is. We were, were formed by the hand of God. Do you recognize that in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse number 5? It tells Jeremiah, he, the Lord tells and speaking to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, he says, uh, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and I had called you to be, and before you were born, I sanctified you to be a prophet to the nations. Do you realize that in, in Luke chapter one, when Mary went to go see Elizabeth and remember John the Baptist is probably about six months in the womb, and the baby leaps. There's a a recognition, there's an awareness that this is not just a cluster of cells, but this is a life, and that God loves life. So, formed by the work of of God. Then we also see, as we think about this psalm, that we are known by the omniscience of God. Notice in verse number one, Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. Our life is special. It tells us that God not only formed us, but that God searches us. He looks and, 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 and digs into our life. He knows the details. We are known by God's omniscience. He knows everything. He knows we, when we sit and when we rise. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we say before we even say it in verses 1 through 7. Then... We are not only known by the omniscience of God, but we are surrounded by the presence of God. Notice verse number seven. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I send into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell or the place of the dead, behold, you are there. It doesn't tell us that God, God knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. It does tell us that. But it tells us that that we can go nowhere because of the omnipresence of God, that he is not there. God formed us. God knows us. God's presence is around us. That's that specialness of this relationship in which we have with God and are made in his image. But then we are also, we are gifted spiritually. Notice down in Psalm 139, verse number 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me. We can experience a personal relationship with God. David says, Lord, search me. He's written this psalm. said, God, you know everything about me. Lord, you're the one who formed me. Now, Lord, search me. God, speak to me. God, show me who I am. Lord, you are in control. My life is special before you. As we think about the value of a soul, it is not based upon money, intellect, degrees, education. We find that life is sacred 
because of the creation of God and the intervention of God. And today, I have to believe, throughout our land, God's still intervening. God's still working. Some, some, some of you have family and friends that grew up in church, and they've not been in a long time, and now God's seeking to call them back. He's seeking to call some to salvation. So human life is sacred because of the salvation of God. When we think about salvation, as precious as it is, it was not offered to the animal world, offered to man alone, that Christ died for our sin, according to the scripture. So that we as believers, as David cries out, Lord, search me and know my heart and try me and know my anxieties. Lord, show me who I am and show me where I am. God provided salvation for humanity. He provided it for David, even after David's sinfulness. And he provides it for you today. Do you know the value of your life? It's not in an organ you can donate or blood you can donate. The value of your life is so much that God would send his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. And if through history, you've heard this before, but if through history you would have been the only person who would have come to know Jesus as Savior, Jesus still would have had to die and rise from the dead. The value of something is not what's written on a catalog. It's not this is the MSRP and this is the real price. The value is what someone will really pay. And Jesus really paid. God provides salvation for humanity and then God provides heaven. (laughs) God provides heaven. As we think about the joy of of salvation and experiencing forgiveness, we, as people who will dwell on this land for a few years, bearing the image of God, will one day be united, if we know Jesus, with the very God that created us. Lincoln Hall, in 2006, climbed Mount Everest, 29,029 feet. On the way down, he got altitude sick. They call it cerebral edema. It's a swelling of the brain. And about at 28,000 feet, as the Sherpas and others tried to work on him, they really just thought he was dead. They took his oxygen, they took his water, and they proceeded down the mountain without him. The next day, Daniel Major and Andrew Brash were seeking to climb Mount Everest, And they saw a guy who was changing his shirt sitting there. And they realized that is Lincoln Hall. And he said, interesting, in in the conversation I, I read this week, the first thing is they come up to him and he says, I guess you guys are surprised to see me being left on Everest at 28,000 feet without oxygen. Yes, they were very much were. But at that point, they had a choice. The choice was... We can leave this guy and climb our next thousand feet or we can seek to save him and miss the ambition of getting to the summit. Can I tell you what they chose? They chose to save a life. And Andrew Brash said, it wasn't even that hard of a choice. 
Climbing the summit is a great ambition, he said. But this was an easy decision compared to this situation. God valued us and loves us so much, he sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He looks at our life as sacred, all lives, and says today, I not only want to be part of your life here on earth, but for eternity. And that only happens when we recognize we're sinners and separated from God, but Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, rose again, offers us forgiveness and eternal life.